when I stumbled upon the natural wine industry, which doesn't use additives, uh, it's not really an industry, it's kind of like a revolution, a movement when I stumbled across and they're like, yeah, you know, we don't put all these toxics. I was like, what toxins? Like, well, additives. What additives? Well, the 76 are approved by the FDA or the 56 approved in Europe by the EU. And so I was like, oh, wow. So here's why you don't know about them. The wine industry spent millions of dollars in lobby money fueled by Wall Street greed in Washington, D.C. and their collusion with the government to keep contents labeling off of wine bottles. That's not an accident. Wine is the only major food product without a contents label. You are listening to The Medicine Podcast. I am Mimi. What is up, everybody? This is Chase. So long story short, we were childhood sweethearts turned husband and wife in our early 20s. Despite following the mainstream script for happiness, we actually divorced for three years. Only to later reunite as soulmates with a brand new outlook on love, God, health, and the real medicines of the universe. If you find yourself wondering, is there more to this life, to health, to God, to love? Then you are in the exact right place. Consider this your bridge to expansion for body, mind, and relationships. We are uncovering and discovering with you. Let's go take the medicine. Hola, hola, my homies. This is episode 104 of The Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know you could be doing literally anything right now, so I'm truly grateful that you are spending part of your day with us, expanding your consciousness and adding to your intentional life. Today, Chase and I are speaking to Todd White, who is the founder of Dry Farm Wines. Holy shiz, (laughs) this was a powerful episode. If you think you know something about the wine industry, just wait. As the founder of Dry Farm Wines, a writer, speaker, and a leader in the organic natural wine movement, Todd White has widely educated communities on conscious alcohol consumption. Dry Farm Wines is endorsed by many leading U.S. performance influencers with pure natural wines that are lab tested to ensure each bottle is sugar-free, lower in sulfites, and lower in alcohol. The wines are friendly to low-carb, paleo, ketogenic, and low-sugar diets. Dry Farm Wines is proud to be the largest natural wine merchant in the world, bringing awareness to natural wine consumption and supporting farmers who honor the soil. I love that. Y'all, being real here, Chase and I haven't really drank alcohol, including wine, in over like two years. We've talked about this on The Medicine before. We're just, we haven't been big drinkers, not because we hate it, but because we would feel so gross afterwards. 10 out of 10 times for me, after drinking wine, I would get a severe headache the next day and just feel gross and crappy and run down, low energy. So it really just wasn't worth it to me. But after learning about Dry Farm and the quality of wine they provide, it was more than enough to give us ease of mind as we enjoy wine again freely, feeling awesome the next day with no headache. So in this episode, Todd dives into the dirty secrets of the conventional wine industry. This was like jaw dropping for us. Who really manufactures all the wine you see in the grocery store? How price and wine quality are related? Why conventional wine manufacturers do not have an ingredient list on their bottles? That was frightening. (laughs) How Dry Farm was born out of Todd's own health needs. 
why natural wine is the cleanest and best in the world, how natural wine supports our health and the earth, and so much more. This episode honestly is just packed with goodness. True story, we were just going to do this interview with Todd to be able to offer you all more education and a better alternative to conventional wine. Since we don't really drink, we didn't think we needed to be ongoing partners with Dry Farm Wines, but we are all in on Dry Farm now. We are buying it for ourselves and basically everyone in our family. We told Dry Farm, okay, we're in it. We wanna be ongoing partners with you all. After listening, I know you're gonna wanna make the switch to Dry Farm Wines, and so we have an epic offer for you. Just check the show notes for the link or go to dryfarmwines.com forward slash medicine. Remember, no E on the end. Here, you'll be able to order their natural pure wine from Biodynamic Farmers, and the first time you order, you'll get a free bottle for just a penny. Yes, a penny. Let us know what you think of the episode. Please share it to your story if you can and tag us on Instagram or send it to your wino bestie. Okay, enjoy. Welcome back to the Medicine Podcast. My name is Mimi and I have my love, my king here next to me. What is going on, everybody? This is Chase and I am fired up i'm thirsty for the content that's coming out of this episode today so we this this episode has been a long time coming and basically we're going to be kindergartners on this end of the zoom call on this end of the mics because we're jumping into a world that we literally know hardly anything about but it is a vast world that we want to know more about and we want to be able to provide our listeners with an evergreen asset that they can come back to for answers and getting the best information. So we are so excited to have you, Todd, with us today. Welcome to The Medicine. Thanks. Excited to be here and lots to share. Well, we're going to, we are going to get into all things wine um, very soon, but we do have a question that we ask every guest on The Medicine that we'll start with, and that is... What do you love in your life? What aspect of your life do you love so much that you wish you could gift it to every human? Meditation. Mm. That was fast. Well, it's, a, it's just an easy answer yeah. because it's the, I think it's the found, I think it's the most important practice an adult can engage in uh, for many reasons, but, you know, it teaches us to, over time, it teaches us to to uh, be present and you know the there's a whole bunch of you know, I'm often asked the question what advice will you give your 20 year old self you know it's like well meditation is one you know number two is is self-forgiveness you know we hold ourselves to an impossibly high standard particularly people who are performance oriented and and want to create change in the world and make valuable contributions um the, um, you know, and third, I, th I think meditation also teaches this important lesson, which is we oftentimes compare our inside to what we perceive are other people's outside, mm -hmm. right? So people are presenting, particularly in social media, you know, a way of life that we think that their life is so perfect. And then we're looking at our inside, which we know is highly flawed. And then we're comparing ourselves to their outside and somehow we don't measure up. It's a really right. good point. And, um, and so, you know, self-forgiveness and, and this, this reality of comparing our internal 
vulnerability and our fragilities to what we see as someone's external perfection, right? Yeah. It's a, it makes for a very self-judging environment that um, meditation helps a lot with, with that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's perfectly put. I, I love the way that you worded that our insides comparison to, you know, the, the external versions of, of what we see con- mm-hmm. consistently and, and other constantly. people. Yeah. The, the other, you know, we, we're all fans of plant medicine and Terrence McKenna, who was, who was a, a leader in that field in the 1970s um, or a participant. I, I recently read a quote that uh, about worrying, you know, we do, this is the other thing meditation teaches us to be present and not to speculate about the future, which is what we would also call anxiety of the future or regrets of the past. But most people, for most people, they spend more of their pain time in speculating about the future. And as you know, we speculate in ways that almost never happen. Right. right. So what we call worrying or anxiety is really speculation. And, and Terrence McKenna said, we don't know enough to worry. So, <laughs> and so, you know, because all the speculation, yeah. is, it's not based on any fact. It's based right. on something that we invent yeah. in our mind. And in fact, we don't know enough to worry yet. If mm-hmm. we knew enough, because what the human mind, what the egoic mind is really seeking is certainty. We have mm-hmm. a very difficult time processing uncertainty and so so if we have bad news we can start to manage the certainty around it right it's just this uncertainty and we live in a world that's wildly uncertain at the moment but i love that quote we don't know enough to worry yeah that's so good i'm i'm definitely going to remember that and, and and take it to heart certainly i i similarly heard an analogy or metaphor for, um, worry and anxiety that really stuck with me too. And, um, I forget even who said it, but he was saying that, you know, legitimate fears are like wanting to protect your family, protect your home from an intruder or a burglar, but anxiety or worry Worry is like wanting to protect your family from a burglar or intruder and going out and looking for it. So the difference is that you're going out outside of your safety, right? And not just protecting yourself. You're going out and searching for the problem to then defend yourself. Where the problem doesn't even exist. Right. Right. Exactly. Speculation. We don't, we don't know enough to worry actually. Right. Yeah. No, I I love that. It's, it's perfectly put. And, um, I love it. And, and presence and meditation is, is something, uh, definitely a theme that we want to be able to pair with something like, you know, the consumption of food or yeah. wine. And so, so fired up to get into that today and what your rituals around, uh, you know, you know, the wine drinking process look like, but, but first I think, uh, you know, before we get into the weeds on, on this, maybe give our listeners a little bit of a, just a quick background on, on, um, your story, how you got into the wine space, how dry farm wines came about, uh, just a little bit of an intro so we can get to know you a bit better. So I've been a wife, a long time wine lover, a lifetime wine aficionado. And actually I've been drinking wine since I was about nine years old, but I also drink, I used to drink, I don't drink spirits anymore, but up until about 25 or 30 years ago, I also drank spirits. And during my 20s and 30s, drank pretty hard. Um, and I would say, you know, had a tenuous, 
you know, relationship with alcohol in a less mindful way for probably 20 years. And <clears throat> so when I reached, uh, it was probably in my early fifties when I noticed that my relationship with alcohol needed to change. And I at the same time, I had started experimenting. I've been a biohacker for a long, long time. And biohacking is the art and science of how we employ our behavior to, um, to influence our biological or neurological outcome. The most common biohack is probably a diet, right? That's a biohack, mm -hmm. probably the most common one. And then there's some, you know, really extensive ones, some that you guys probably know all about it. But the most common was diet. Now, I had started experimenting seven years ago with uh, the, a therapeutic ketogenic diet. This is before keto became mm. a mainstream term. But because of the work of primarily Dr. Dominic Diagostino, who was doing work for the Department of Defense at the time on uh, deep, deep dive Navy SEALs and the effect ketogenic diet had on their recovery and um, so on and so forth. But he had started publishing and the ketogenic diet had started to reach biohacking circles. And I started experimenting with it um, quite uh, extensively and was on a what I call therapeutic ketogenic diet. Today, I'm on what I would call modified keto, which is more Atkins-like. It's just low carb. It's not as high fat. So a therapeutic ketogenic diet is very high in fat. And the problem with a therapeutic ketogenic diet is that it's not sustainable for most people. It just gets boring over time. Mm. So, but I started experimenting with it. And about the same time, I started noticing that my relationship with alcohol, and I was only drinking wine at the time. I've only been drinking wine for the last 20 years, 20 or 25 years. I've drank exclusively wine, almost exclusively. Wow. And uh, as I mentioned before, we started recording, unless I'm doing an extended water fast, I drink wine every day and I only drink it at night. I don't drink during the daytime. I don't recommend that other people do either. Uh, we can talk more about, you know, kind of what I, my feelings about alcohol, because they're very unusual for a guy who sells alcohol. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but at about the same time, I noticed that I wasn't processing drinking wine very well. And and it's, it is a common side effect for many people who experiment with a, a serious ketogenic diet that their, their relationship, their tolerance for alcohol changes. So, but I didn't attribute it to that because there wasn't much published about alcohol and keto at that time. I thought it was that just as a part of the aging process that my relationship with alcohol, I thought that I needed to drink less alcohol. I quit drinking for a while. And, um, and then through the suggestion of a friend, I discovered lower alcohol wines that were being made in Europe. And from there, I stumbled accidentally onto the natural wine revolution, which was just getting underway really in central France at the time. Now natural wines are quite well known since six or seven years ago when I started drinking natural wine, nobody knew what it was. I didn't know what it was and I live in Napa Valley. I live in the heart of the most famous wine appellation in North America. 
Yeah, so but, maybe define natural, and you'll probably get to it in a second. Yeah, I'm going to maybe define you. that a little we'll, bit. We'll okay. define because natural wine is a is a very misleading term to consumers because you know I would tell people they will, what do you do? I was like, well, you know, I sell natural wine, and they're like, oh, what's that? Is an all wine natural? And it's not because there's some dirty dark secrets to the wine industry that. I'm going to share with you. So we'll talk about exactly what a natural wine is. But so I stumbled upon natural wines. And from there, um, I, you know, I was, uh, I'm an athlete. And also I was performance driven and, and a biohacker. And I started really on discovering what was going on in, in the conventional wine industry and all the toxins that are in wine. Mm. And then the other things we talked about before we started recording, the thing that surprises many people to hear me say, because they think I'm the wine guy and I'm here trying to sell wine, which is not my goal. My goal is to educate people about how to think about drinking and specifically how to think about drinking wine. And if you're going to drink, I think you should be drinking natural wines for a whole bunch of reasons I'm going to describe to you. You know, the three primary sources of commercial alcohol there's beer and ciders and then there's wine and then there are hard spirits and i don't drink spirits because alcohol content is too high i don't drink beer or ciders because typically they're very high in maltose sugar which is super unhealthy leads to a beer gut and so I largely live a sugar-free lifestyle. So therefore that leads me to drinking sugar-free wines that also have a lot of other benefits. But the thing I was going to say that surprises most people is that alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin and some people shouldn't drink at all. And alcohol ruins millions of lives a year and it disrupts millions more. And so if we're going to drink I think we should be thoughtful and take an intentional approach around what we drink, how we drink it, when we drink it, how much of it we drink. Yeah. Right. The, the thing, the thing you see, alcohol is a domino drug, which yeah. is just like cocaine and, and sugar for that matter. So the more you drink, the more likely you are to drink more. Right. Right. Same thing with cocaine. Right. <laughs> so, you know, the more cocaine you do, the more cocaine you want to do. Right. <laughs> this is yeah. a domino drug. Uh, when I used to do cocaine, which is many years ago, uh, when I was in my 20s, you know, some guy comes up to you at a party and says, hey, would you like a key bump? And I'm like, no, I don't want a key bump, but I'll take the rest of your bag. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, it's like, who wants a key bump? Right. So the same thing when you start drinking alcohol, which is why alcohol has increased in wine steadily over the last 30 years, now averaging 14 or 15%. Most of the wines I drink today are around nine or 10%. And so the wine industry loves alcohol because it's addictive and it's also this domino drug. So the more alcohol I can get in you faster than the more likely you are to drink more. So we're going to get back to what's wrong with the wine industry, which is really around Wall Street money and greed. Mm. Mm. So we'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, so I think we have to think about, you know, kind of how, what and how much and where and when. Same thing I would think about plant medicine. Set and setting has a lot to do with anything that alters your state. 
Absolutely. Who you're with, quality of the substance, knowing your dealer, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, <laughs> right. there's, these are all kind of common themes that, that relate to any kind of alteration of, you know, our soul, if you sure. will. Yeah. And, and there's such a, until you get of a certain class where you're collecting and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're really becoming sophisticated in the taste uh, articulation of what you might be consuming from a wine perspective. Our culture, especially, you know, in America is this accumulate and consume as much as possible. And it's worn as this badge of honor, especially, you know, like in college about how much you can literally consume from an alcohol perspective. And so that's completely contrary to what, you know, you're already hinting to, which is the importance of intention, the importance of presence and meditation, like what you literally came through the episode, um, starting to articulate. And so that's such contradiction to the way that we're programmed in this in this culture to just consume and and well, and almost for males as well. right you right. know there's some kind of badge of honor to yeah. to wreck our body and mind I, I like to think of it in just the opposite way and that I, I i i'm aging i want to think about you start aging significantly about 25 right you don't notice it for a long time but but your body starts to change you start aging really in your twenties. And, you know, I like to think about the preservation of my brain health, right. you know, and the preservation of, you know, the body that carries my soul. Right. And so, and the older you get, the more pronounced that thought pattern becomes if you're self-aware, right. If you're, if you're living a conscious life. Right. And I think, which is why I think meditation is the most important practice and easy for me to tell everyone that meditation is the is the most important adult practice that we ha can have is because it leads us to a life of higher consciousness mm -hmm. and i was just on a telephone call about an hour ago i'm um, negotiating the lease of a warehouse in dallas and and um and, and the people we're negotiating with have not been truthful you know, their story changes a lot. And I'm just like, and I was talking to this guy, I was like, this is what's wrong with the world. It's real simple just to be straightforward. Mm -hmm. Right. And we don't have to, we don't have to hide anything here. We don't, you know, this involves a situation where they're now co-negotiating with someone else. And, and it was just a misrepresentation during the process. And, and it was just like, they could just be straightforward. I don't care if they're negotiating with someone else, you know, it's just the way they, the, the way they have not been transparent, mm -hmm. you know, in their process. Meanwhile, you know, I have other deals that I've now left and departed because this one was sending signals and now those signals are no longer present. And it's like, you know, people just, this is what's wrong with the world. We just be transparent and yeah. transparency oftentimes comes from a higher consciousness. Yeah. Right. That we realize that once we're on a higher consciousness, a higher plane of consciousness, that we realize that it's just easier and, and everything works better when we're just very clear with each other. Yeah. That you know? is, that's the world that <laughs> we want to live in and that we're trying to contribute to for sure. Um, speaking of transparency, we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but if you, if you would sort of lift the veil and, and, and do some maybe, 
uh, dirty secret revealing that you've that yeah. you've spoken to so, of yeah. the. Like, I, I feel like you know we all know that that boxed wine like Franzia, or you go into the grocery store and you see bottom shelf wine and you realize that's probably not good for you maybe there's some artificial sweeteners and you know highly chemical or or uh processed you know manufacturing that is involved but you would assume that like oh top shelf wine or if i order an expensive bottle of wine it's probably pretty good for me so maybe debunk some of this a little bit for us well first of all price and quality have absolutely nothing to do with one another where wine is concerned over twenty dollars a bottle mm. okay mm. Myth so if number wine one. costs 25 or 125 has nothing to do with price and quality. Now, there are plenty of studies, gazillion of them, that show that if you give a consumer a brown paper bag of two bottles of wine, you tell them one is $25 and the other one's 90, they'll pick the $90 bottle of wine better, even though they're both the same wine, right? Mm. They'll, they'll taste something different in the $90 bottle, although... Both bottles are identically the same. There's a ton of these studies have been done. Some sort so of people, placebo effect. Right. So, but let's let's start at the beginning, sort of like, so when the Romans 2000 years ago were drinking wine or, you know, wine's been consumed in, for some 9,000 years, um, they were all drinking natural wine. And and many times much lower alcohol than what is consumed today in commercial wine. The Romans, in fact, used to mix wine and water together to further dilute the effect of alcohol so that they could party longer and have mm. greater insights. And they were using wine as, you know, as a way to elevate and to reach a euphoric state of creativity. Microdosing, microdosing right. wine. Yeah. Basically. So, Here's what's happened though, in the last 50 years, particularly, same thing that's happened in our food supply. So in our food supply, there are roughly nine or 10 companies that control most everything that we eat or that most of everything that's produced to eat in the United States, not what I eat necessarily, but most of what's produced is by nine or 10 companies. And that happened through Wall Street fueled uh, public money, public markets and consolidation of, in, of the industry. Same thing has happened in the wine business. So through money and greed has fueled a consolidation of the industry. So the facts are as follows. And everything we're going to explain to you is easily verifiable from a Google search. It's not my opinion. I'm not making this up. You can check anything out that I'm going to tell you. But first of all, 52% of the wines manufactured in the United States are made by just three giant companies. Wow. The, the top 30 companies, wine companies in the United States make 70% of U.S. wines. Now, they don't want you to know that. So these multi-billion dollar marketing conglomerates that run these massive wine factories in Central California, these factories are gigantic. As far as you can see, multiple football fields, right, of tanks, of wine tanks. Um, they don't want you to know this, so they hide behind thousands of brands and labels. Yeah. So when you go in the grocery store and you see these rows of bottles for you know a whole aisle, maybe six high, hundreds or thousands of different uh, con conglomeration of brands and labels, most of those wines are made by just a handful of companies. Wow. I had no idea. Now, they put a farmhouse or a chateau on the label. 
Sure. Or maybe an animal. <laughs> Animals on labels sell very well. Yeah. yeah. They want you to believe that you're drinking from this little farmhouse when in yeah. fact you're likely drinking from a massive wine factory. As I mentioned, most of them are located in central California. Wow. So they make all this wine using additives and chemicals because you can't make, see wine is filled with bacteria because it's a living thing until it's killed. Right. And so you, you, the big dirty dark secret in the wine industry is that there are 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. Wow. Now, I've told a few million people about these additives, but otherwise, <laughs> not a lot of people talking about them. And they're not even talked about in the wine industry. Like, I live in the heart of the Napa Valley. I'd never heard of a wine additive before I accidentally discovered that they were out there. And if you go Google search FDA approved wine additives, you'll go to the list of 76. Now, in fairness, some of them are natural, and some of them are also animal products. So if you're vegan, or if you're animal free, then, um, then you want to know whether your wine is vegan or not. If you mm -hmm. care about that, there are two animal products in the 76 approved additives for the use in winemaking. One is egg whites, which are used as a protein to find the wine and finding wine is part of the process of making it more clear okay. what's known as lipidity or the clarity in wine. So you get lipidity or clarity. One of the ways is through finding other filtration techniques that are not, not used in natural wine. We'll talk about what a natural wine is in a moment, but so staying focused on conventional wines, then you have some additives like dimethyl dicarbonate, which is the most toxic, which is a chemical used to treat the single most common bacterial fault, which is known as Brettanomyces in wine. Okay. There's a chemical for treating that. And it's called dimethyl dicarbonate. If you Wikipedia dimethyl dicarbonate, you're going to see it says hazard colon toxic. Right. Now, the reason you don't know whether your wine contains this chemical or not, or other chemicals like ammonia phosphate um, that are also approved for the use in winemaking, the reason you don't, and defoaming agents, like when you see, when you move a wine from tank to tank, it foams. Mm -hmm. And so they have a spray that makes that foam go away, right? So that you can move it faster, mm. right? And you can put wine in the tank quicker. You can pump it over because if it's foam, it's going to run over, right? Well, they have a spray because it's a defoaming agent. So we don't know the toxicity of really of these chemicals in wine because there's never been any testing on it because there's very little even knowledge that they exist. Yeah. As I said, even within the wine industry. So, so I mean, I never heard anybody talk about a wine additive, right? Until, yeah. until, until I personally accidentally discovered them. When I stumbled upon the natural wine industry, which doesn't use additives, uh, it's not really an industry. It's kind of like a revolution, a movement when I stumbled mm. across and they're like, yeah, you know, we don't put all these toxics. I was like, what toxins? Like, well, additives. What additives? Well, the 76 are approved by the FDA or the 56 approved in Europe by the EU. And so I was like, oh, wow. 
So here's why you don't know about them. The wine industry spent millions of dollars in lobby money fueled by Wall Street greed in Washington, D.C. and their collusion with the government to keep contents labeling off of wine bottles. That's not an accident. Wine right. is the only major food product without a contents label. Not That's to mention crazy. there's no nutritional information either. And then like what other reasoning besides trying to slip one over yeah. on everybody would there be for that lack of transparency? Because the wine industry doesn't want it on the bottle. Yeah. I, it, I remember it, like looking at specifically like, why don't any of these bottles, I've thought this before when, when I used to drink regularly, why don't any of these bottles, like you don't know what's in it. They, none of them even have an ingredient list. It seems like. That's intentional. If, if wine had a contents label, it would look much like other packaged food products. Yeah. You know, it'd be this rectangular thing with a whole bunch of names. You have no idea what it means or what they are. Right. And so whenever I pick, I don't eat packaged foods largely, but if I do, the first thing I do is I look at the ingredients and the nutritional information on it. The first thing I'm looking for is sugar. Right. Right. Cause sugar is hidden in everything. And so um, and when we talk about drugs, I think sugar is the most widely abused and addictive drug on the planet. Yep. That yeah. is the source of most chronic illnesses. Not mm -hmm. only sugar, but highly glycemic processed foods, which yeah. create a, an elevated blood glucose. Whether I can obviously look at you too and know that you're concerned about sugar intake because you <laughs> have low inflammation and people who eat a lot of sugar have high inflammation. All right, real talk. If you're anything like me, finding quick foods that are actually healthy and intentionally sourced is not the easiest task these days. Take something like jerky. 99% have added sugars, preservatives, and are sourced from conventional non-organic farms from stressed and possibly diseased animals. Yikes. Okay, what about protein or granola bars? Oftentimes these bars have way more sugar than protein, and the protein itself is usually bottom of the barrel, cheap and low quality. We used to have the hardest time while traveling, like what the heck are we supposed to eat when we need something quick? Then I discovered Paleo Valley, hallelujah. Chase and I's favorite when we need something convenient, like during travel. The beef or turkey sticks and superfood bars are literally an answer to my prayers. They are made from real whole foods with no added sugars or mystery ingredients and are super delicious. Even kids love them. Get this, Paleo Valley sources their meat and their bone broth protein exclusively from organic regenerative farmers. The animals are pasture-raised, grass-fed their entire life, and the farmers themselves are practicing regenerative farming. This means that they are actually healing our Earth's soil rather than killing it and stripping it like conventional farms. I feel so good knowing that I'm blessing my body with high-quality foods and supporting our Earth and future generations by supporting Paleo Valley. If you want to try for yourself, you can use the direct link in the show notes to check out Paleo Valley and use the code MEDICINE, that's M-E-D-I-C-I-N for a discount, or just check them out in our medicine cabinet at getmimifit.com. We're bringing you only the best, boo. Cheers.
Yeah, I mean, I mean, part of our personal story is the ketogenic diet, although neither one of us are keto, we're relatively carb conscious, but it completely transformed our lives and, and broke the addiction to something as simple as cereal. I couldn't mm-hmm. go, I couldn't go two days without a bowl of sugary cereal in my twenties. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So it's carb conscious is a great, you know, very few people actually are ketogenic. Um, although it's very buzzy, but if right. you, yeah. for all the people who say they're ketogenic, probably one in 10 are actually keto. If you put them through lab tested blood analysis, right. which right. is the gold standard for measuring your, your uh, ketone, your ketotic state, typically measured in beta hydroxybutyrate through your blood. So, you know, the, the, it's, you have to be fairly focused in order to stay in ketosis, right? Yeah. Um, So carb carb, carb conscious is probably more aptly describes most people. The, um, so anyway, back to the wine, we, you know, I, I accidentally discovered natural wine. And when I started drinking them and I started learning about all these things, I started feeling better. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, wow. I didn't realize how bad I felt drinking wine. Mm. I just felt that's how you feel when you drink wine. Right? So, so was there any part of this where you were thinking like, oh, maybe it wasn't the actual wine that was, you know, making me feel crappy or whatever. It's the toxins and the additives and everything like that. Similarly, you know, we, we talk a lot about the coffee industry and, and, uh, and kind of lifting the veil on, all of the different toxins and sprays and and molds that are on coffee. And a lot of people say, well, I've given up coffee for my health. And it's like, well, it's, it's probably not the actual coffee bean in and of itself. That's giving you issues. It's probably all the sprays, toxins, glyphosate mold that's being added to the coffee. And it sounds like what you're saying, it's, it's been the same thing in the wine industry. It's just been hidden very intentionally. Yeah. And remains intentionally hidden today. Um, the wine industry simply doesn't want transparency. And, and so they don't even want transparency on alcohol. The alcohol stated on a wine bottle by law is not required to be accurate. Right. And so if it reads 14.5% on the label, if it reads 14% on the label, it can be as high as 15.5% and still be legal. And there's no enforcement on that either which is one of the reasons we do independent lab testing on every wine for sugar, for alcohol, for other toxins. So we're the only company still, even today, that does independent lab testing on wine, even though we Mm -hmm. have, you know, some clean wine competitor knockoffs that have tried to copy Mm -hmm. us. um, Even today, nobody does lab testing, but us. Wow. And, you know, so and the only way to know if wine is sugar-free or not, you can't always taste sugar in wine because of the acid levels. You know, it's, it, you, the only way to know if a wine is sugar-free is to lab test it. And, you know, and sugar is commonly, um, is commonly found in wines. Last year, we tested the top 20 commercial selling wines in the United States easy to find those figures on the internet who are the top 20 we tested the top 20 only two of them met our requirement for sugar Hmm. 90 percent of them contained more sugar than we will allow Hmm. right which 
we require wine to be sugar-free. And there's a statistic for that. It's less than one gram per liter, right? Which means it's statistically it's sugar-free. You can't measure it. Not mm -hmm. in a drinking, not, not at a glass level. It's not measurable. So, so I stumbled upon the natural wine movement quite by accident. And when I did, I wasn't thinking, none of this I was thinking of as a business. I wasn't trying to create a business. I was trying to solve a personal problem I had. I was yeah. trying to find a way to drink healthier and feel good uh, and not have these negative repercussions. And part of that, in fairness, part of that is also lowering the alcohol because alcohol dehydrates us. This leads us to, to waking up at two or three o'clock in the morning, dehydrated, and then we can't go back to sleep because we're thinking of all the problems we need to solve tomorrow, none of which are important right now, and most of which will never occur. But, yeah. you know, we invent these problems. Right. Oh, yeah, I know them well. Right. And so we get this film going on, and then we can't go back to sleep. So let's, here's what's, here's what a natural wine, natural wine only has three, three cornerstones. There are only three things to know about natural wine. It's very simple. The second one's a little bit tricky, but I'm going to explain it to you and what it means. So number one, natural wines are always organic or biodynamically farmed. Biodynamic farming is a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming that has a few cornerstones. We could talk a long time about biodynamic farming, but it's a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming. Yeah, our, our, our listeners are, are familiar. We've, we've had the, the Paleo Valley and, and Wild Pastures folks on giving us a deep dive on, on biodynamic nice. farming. So familiarity there. Number two, Natural wines are always fermented with wild indigenous native yeast. Mm. Now, what does that mean? When you harvest a grape berry, I don't care where it's farmed or how it's farmed, anywhere in the world, at, at the time of maturity, when the berry is ripe, it contains yeast on the skin that is collected naturally through the air. It's a white waxy film. You can scrape it off with your fingernail. But that white waxy film that's on, that's on the skin of every grape berry in the world at maturity is yeast. And that yeast was collected naturally and indigenously through the vineyard where the grape was grown. Mm. Now, natural winemakers always ferment in what's called a spontaneous fermentation because you don't have to add anything to natural wine to make it because you have everything present right in the berry. You have sugar in the grape juice and yeast on the skin. And that yeast at the proper temperature will activate and start eating the sugar. And that's how wine is made. So the byproduct of yeast eating sugar is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. That's how you make wine. Now, conventional winemakers, commercial winemakers, including all that wine you see in the grocery store. And when you go into bottle shops, all that wine. If it's not natural, it's conventional. And natural wine is a very, very small category. It makes up less than one-tenth of 1% 1 of all the wines in the world. Wow. wow. It's super tiny, super tiny category in the wine world. Conventional wines are almost always, let's say always, but almost always, you could say always, right? Mm -hmm. Fermented with GMO lab-cultured yeast. Now, why do you do that? Well, 
a, a, a lab-grown yeast can be modified to be very sturdy. It also modified to withstand higher alcohol environments. A higher alcohol environment around 17% or so will kill a native yeast. Mm. But these lab-grown yeast have been modified to be sturdy and also withstand a higher alcohol environment. You can also buy flavored yeast that have been modified to taste like this wine is from the Mediterranean region, maybe from Italy. You can buy <laughs> yeast for that. Wow. Right? Now, you know yeast, you, you will know quite most everything. I'll tell you is common sense, but you'll know from the sourdough bread crafting phenomena that happened during COVID that you'll know that people pass along their mother yeast because this mother, that yeast has this complex flavor, right? So yeast are easily modified to have flavor profiles. Mm -hmm. Another reason why this lab-grown yeast is used, but the most important reason is that you can make wine in large volumes with this sturdy, strong lab-cultured yeast. Mm. A native yeast is too fragile and requires coddling and you can't make wine in large volumes using this yeast. It breaks down. Okay. It's not dependable to make wine in large volumes. And remember, most wines are made in factories where you're making wine in very, very large quantities. And so native yeast can't be used for that. Mm. So in a natural wine, this wild indigenous native yeast fermentation is always present. Okay. Conventional wines is not. And number three, they're additive free. So Got you it. don't have any of these toxic additives that we've discussed. So uh, biodynamic, native, indigenous yeast, and toxin free. Right. Correct. Well, alcohol is a toxin, but, right. okay, but additive. Additive. you don't have any toxic additives. Got it. Got so, it. Now, you know, now in Dry Farm Wines case, my company, we have a standard that is higher than just natural wine. Mm. So in addition to those attributes, our wines must meet several other criteria that are very okay. important to us. One, they must be sugar-free. So not all natural wines are sugar-free. Mm -hmm. Number two, they must be 12.5% alcohol or less. We sell wines from 6% which was the Bolixer that you tried. Yeah. We sell wines from 6% to 12 and a half, nothing over 12 and a half. And so this is, and, and then number three, uh, they must be irrigation free. Name of our company mm. is dry farm wines. Yeah. Dry farming mm. means farming without irrigation. Wow. Now there's a whole bunch of reasons why irrigation is a very bad idea for growing grapevines, right? So one, it's bad for the planet. So we're in a worldwide drought. Yeah. So grapevines have been prospering and living quite naturally without irrigation for some 10,000 years in some of the harshest climates in the world. Sicily is a great example of a place where irrigation is prohibited and grapevines flourish quite nicely. All right, Sicily is 100% volcanic rock. It's an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And it gets very, very hot there, right? With very little rain. We irrigate because it's cheaper. It makes, it, it is cheaper and faster. Here's the thing about conventional wine that's troubling is, again, this is fueled by Wall Street 
greed, and, and money. Conventional wine manufacturers are not trying to make wine healthier or better. They're trying to make it cheaper and faster. Yeah. And that's where all the problems come in at. And irrigation is another cheaper, faster, more technique. So it's cheaper to irrigate. It requires a whole lot more effort to farm without irrigation. Irrigation also leads to higher yield. That is the size of the cluster of grape. So higher yield. It results in a grape berry that weighs more. It may not surprise you and your common sense will tell you when you irrigate a grapevine and you pump it full of water and the fruit has a lot of water and it's going to weigh more. Well, fruit is sold by the ton. So the more it weighs, the more it's worth. Mm. Now, what you do end up with is a diluted grape that has less character because it's got more water in it. It also has lower polyphenols and flavonoids and other compounds that are thought to be the healthy part of what's contained in wine, particularly red wines. And, and the, most, the most famous polyphenol is known as resveratrol in red wines. And the reason that red wines are much higher in these polyphenols, there are about 200 of those, these compounds in white wine. There are over 800 in red wines. Okay. And the reason that these polyphenols and flavonoids and antiflavonoids are more present in red wine is because red wine gets its color and its increase in polyphenols from skin contact. So when you make red wine, you press the juice from the berry it goes into a tank and then you take all the skins and seeds and stems from the pressing and you put those into the barrel with the juice and they ferment together. And that's how red wine becomes red. If you squeeze the juice from a red wine grape, squeeze the juice from white wine grape, they're both clear. Hmm. Hmm. Right. And so red wine gets its color from the skins. Okay. Uh, in Got something it. that's called maceration, which also leads to some other potential health problems in that if the maceration goes on too long, as in the case with conventional wines, because maceration, remember, is what gives red wine its color. Well, Americans believe falsely that the darker a red wine is, the higher quality it is. Mm. And there are two ways that you get a red wine darker. Longer extended macerations, and then there's an additive. I was going to say. Yeah. There's a color agent. If you've ever seen people get purple teeth. Yeah from drinking red wine, that's usually from a color agent because oh. natural red wines won't stain your teeth. Okay. And so- Good to know. If you see somebody with purple lips and, and, and purple teeth, now sometimes they'll get purple lips without the teeth because it depends on how porous your teeth are. Right. Yeah. right? So um, everybody's a little different in that regard, but it's almost always when you see this condition is from a color agent. Interesting. Yeah, because so it's an natural, easy way to spot. Yeah, natural red wine doesn't won't do that. Very cool. So, so the woman who's listening right now, who's like, "Oh, I love a you know a glass or two or a bottle of wine at the end of the night to relax myself and everything like that." But it's killing her selfies. <laughs> but no, I I was just gonna say like, she's thinking that she's oh this is you know red wine. I've heard it's it's good. It's good for the body. You know, glass or two a night. You're totally bursting her bubble because it's probably, it's probably not in the one tenth of 1% of wine that you're talking about. 
she probably is unknowingly drinking additives and all these, uh, all these toxins and these, you know, things that you're these dangerous qualities of wine. She thinks that she's, you know, doing something good for her body. Like yeah, the glass, resveratrol, glass day, like you know. relaxing. And, and she probably has no idea that anyways, you're just bursting a bunch of myths here. And I wanted to take a second. If, if this is you and you're listening and you're used to giving your body a glass of wine to relax, it's probably having the opposite effect that is invisible to you. The other thing for women, particularly, you've probably heard this before. We hear it all the time, particularly when we, you know, with COVID, we've not been, we've not been to any events, but pre-COVID, like in 2019, we were the official wine for 142 international health and performance, like Paleo FX, where yeah. we wow. met, or, or JJ Virgin's Mindshare Summit, or uh, the Meta- Metabolic Health Summit, which is mm-hmm. hosted by Dr. Dominic Diagostino. Yep. And so we're always the official wine for all of these forward-looking health conferences when they were happening. Now they're happening virtual. It's not the same. But so yeah. we come in contact with thousands and thousands of people. Um, and you very often hear women in particular say, you know, I really love red wine, but I can't drink it. Mm. Um, it makes me spotchy. It makes me, you know, I get, I get, um, I don't feel well from it. I can't, I can't drink it. I always tell them we, you can drink these red wines because they're not made in that way. And Mm. one of the things that the, that with splotchiness or, or, or congestion or tension in the frontal lotet, these, this is caused by, uh, an elevated, amount of biogenetic amines and the two best known and the two primary offenders are uh, tyramine and histamine. Mm. And so these are elevated oftentimes in commercial wines, primarily from this maceration function where they're leaving the skins and in contact with the wine for too long in an effort to make it darker. Mm. Right. And this results in an elevated histamine and tyramine and other biogenetic amines. So natural wine is not made like that. And so there's no desire to make the color darker, right? That's not how a natural winemaker thinks about wine um, is by its color. Mm. Same reason that natural wines are rarely filtered and almost never fined, right? It's because the natural winemaker doesn't care about lapidity or clarity. They care about the soul of the wine. Yeah. Right. And so they care about the expression of how the wine speaks for itself, Mm. which is the other reason that natural wines are never sterilized. And sterilization can happen both through filtering and also with heavy doses of sulfur dioxide, which actually kills the wine. What I mean by killing the wine is that wines are, are filled with bacterias right? They're, they're a living thing. They have living bacteria, but commercial winemakers don't want that living bacteria present for a whole bunch of reasons. It can create bottle to bottle variation, Mm. which they want a McDonald's shelf stable product. (laughs) Every bottle tastes exactly the same. Yeah. Um, And so heavy doses of sulfur dioxide at bottling are used 
to sterilize and then stabilize the wine, making it shelf worthy for many years at a time. Um, and Dr. David Perlmutter, who's a New York Times bestselling author, who's an expert on the relationship between the gut microbiome and the brain has written several times about natural wines and specifically our wines because they contain three living bacteria that are um, beneficial to the gut microbiome. Oh, wow. So natural wines are actually good for gut health because they contain these bacteria that haven't been killed. So the wine also, when it's alive, it, it has, you know, the French call it terroir, but it's really about the place and the farm and the farmer. And wine is one of the uniquely, one of the few alcohol products where in the case of a natural wine, where the farmer who tended the vines and who cared for the fruit is also the person who ferments the wine. Well, so you have one person or one family who does everything from birth to bottle, Mm. right? And that's not true of other alcohol products or of conventional wines where you may be buying fruit from some farm over here that's industrially farmed and fruit from farm over here. And then it all goes to the factory. It all gets pressed together. It all gets kind of, but it has no place, right? It has no sense of place. And so um, the, the native yeast, again, a sense of place, right? Because the yeast came, it was indigenous to, it was wild and indigenous to this vineyard. So unique with natural wines, also these living bacteria, right? So the wine has soul and you can taste it. It tastes mm. different than, it tastes different than a factory product. You know, it's just, it's sort of like another example I like to use when I think about growing fruit and how important the love of, of, of a small family farm who Really, when you go to a natural wine farmer, he, he doesn't talk about, there's no tasting room or anything like that. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about the wines. The very first thing he does is takes you to the vineyard. And he wants you to hold the soil, mm. right? He wants to talk about living soils and about soil management and about vineyard management to encourage insects. Yeah. So what we're trying to do in most agriculture and great farming is kill everything around the vine. Right. Right. When you go to a natural vineyard, you'll see it's teeming with life and biodiversity. So in a natural farm, you've got orchards and livestock and, uh, and fowl. And uh, if you guys seen the, the, the movie, the documentary, the biggest little farm, no, no uh-uh. anyway, you should see it. It's, it's okay. a film about the restoration of an industrial farm to mm. a biodiverse natural way of farming. It wasn't over grapes. It was just, it was just, it was just the reintroduction of natural farming techniques to a previously uh, dead farm that had been gotcha. killed with chemicals. It's a fascinating, really, really fascinating story about this family and tracks them over several years of the restoration of this farm. Cool. And, but so when you go to a natural farm, this, the farmers are encouraging insects in the vineyard. They want undergrowth. They want cover crops. They want um, to have wildflowers and herbs and, and, 
nature has all this figured out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Nature's yeah. been working for a couple billion years until we came along in the 1920s and introduced chemical farming to and monoculture. Right. Yeah. So previous to that, all farms kind of were polyculture. So, you know, they had livestock and orchards and bees and butterflies and all things that make for a naturally living biodiverse environment and living soils. And then the 1920s with the introduction of monoculture, which primarily started to happen with wheat, right? And corn and soybean, right? And, and then we started to use chemicals to kill everything else around it, mm. right? This is actually out of balance with nature. Mm -hmm. So all of this has a destruction, glyphosate included. You know, Roundup yeah. is the number one applied herbicide on U.S. vineyards. And I can look at a vineyard and tell you if it's been treated with herbicide mm. because there's nothing growing, right? And, yeah. and I live in a place where I drive by thousands of acres of vineyard every day. I can tell you which ones have been sprayed because you can see it. Yeah, right? I'm sure. just beneath the, for about eight, uh, for about 20 inches, underneath the vine, it looks like lava. It's a black, lifeless row of nothing existing other than the grapevine. That's not natural. Versus right. like weeds and other plants and, you, you know, flowers. Everything, or, anything yeah. that grows there that helps provide. See, in a living soil, natural winemakers don't often plow, right? So because what happens when you plow is that you turn over the earth to where there are millions of living organisms beneath the earth, m many millions more than is above the earth, right? Yeah. So you've got millions and billions of these living organisms that exist in the soil. When you turn it over and you expose it to the sun, you kill everything, right? And yeah. so if you care about living soil, then you care about everything that lives beneath the surface of mulch. Mm -hmm. So when you have natural farming, you have cover crops in the winter, you cut those, those fall down, you leave them. That's where your nitrogen. So you, where fava beans are like one of the most common grown cover crops in, in natural farming, because when you drop those beans and pods down, you get nitrogen from that that goes into the earth that becomes your fertilizer source. Mm. If you're irrigated, then nitrogen is put into the irrigation line. It's fertilizer, liquid nitrogen, that then feeds the grapevine. And the problem with that is that an irrigated grapevine, which always has nitrogen added to it, right? An irrigated grapevine has a great, uh, has a, a root cluster that's about four feet in diameter, about four feet deep, because all of its water and nutrient come from this little hose just above the trunk. Where a natural grapevine, that's unirrigated can have a root structure that's 20 or 30 feet deep wow. and across as these tiny capillary like roots, like the size of your hair, right, are breaking apart little clusters of mineral rock and soil looking for moisture and nutrients. Yeah. God. Right. And so, which is why the grape itself and why it's illegal to irrigate in most of Europe, it's because Europeans who've been growing wine for about 3000 years know what we already know, which is irrigation dilutes the character, the quality of the fruit. 
Yeah. Right. For reasons I've already described, it all makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, which is why, you know, organic fruit is also prized. It's also way more expensive to farm organically and much more difficult, less than, um, less than 5% of U.S. vineyards are organic. More than 99% of U.S. vineyards are irrigated, which wow. is one of the reasons we don't sell any domestic wine. So all the wines that we sell come from across Europe. Okay. Uh, we have a dozen or so growers in South America, and we have five growers in South Africa. Yeah. So, so, so that's a that's a good spot to jump in, and, and you know, there's, there's so many whose brains are just getting completely yeah. broken right now, <laughs> uh, and, and they're probably wondering, okay, where do I where do I start over here with wine or with alcohol in general, as they're you know being introduced to to dry farm wines. Uh, what do you, what do you typically see as kind of like a starting point with, with the consumption of your wine specifically, like where would be a good uh, spot to start? You know, they navigate to your website, maybe they start looking for you in, in, you know, total wine and mores or some of these like larger wine. Yeah. We don't uh, sell to restaurants or retailers. Great, so the only way great, to get wine from better. us is directly from us to your doorstep. Beautiful. So okay. it, it just, we don't, um, we can't get enough wine. A, we're not interested in that business, but B, we couldn't source enough wine to to get our members and customers uh we couldn't get enough wine to supply them and sell to restaurants and retailers sure yeah makes sense so we only sell direct to consumer delivered to your doorstep and we curate these wines on behalf of our customers and our customers have a high degree of trust in us because we're endorsed by thousands of health leaders and doctors and um uh, natural path people that, you know, know us, uh, know me, have heard, seen me speak, seen our team. At, yeah. You can see that we live uh, an ethos yeah. uh, of something we passionately believe in. I drink the same wines that I sell every single day. That's great. And, you know, we, there's a lot of people as you're aware, I know you're well aware of this. There's a lot of people in the health and fitness and nutrient business that are not healthy, fit or nutrient. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, or they don't use their own product. Right. Well, or they just, they just don't look healthy. Right. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. If, you know, if I'm going to hire a personal trainer, I'm going to hire the personal trainer who has the body I want. Right. Right. right? If I'm going to take nutritional or health advice, I'm going to take it from somebody who seems to be living a life I would like to live. Someone asked me the other day, Hey Mimi, I'm new to all these medicinal mushrooms. Where should I start? I love hearing this so much. And my best advice is to first understand that not all mushroom products and brands are created equal. There are a lot of diluted products out there that are full of grain based fillers. So I recommend starting with a trusted and high quality brand right out of the gate, like Real Mushrooms. They are organic, non-GMO, scientifically verified for their active compounds and have zero fillers. Only Real Mushrooms. I recommend grabbing a few different extracts and start blending them into your coffee, smoothies, or even your baking. They also have capsules if you prefer. 
Here are a few of my favorites that I use regularly. Tremella for glowing, hydrated skin like before and after being in the sun. Cordyceps for increased stamina, energy, and lung capacity like before my exercise. Lion's Mane for neuroprotection and cognitive flow like before I record a podcast or have creative work. Medicinal mushroom extracts from real mushrooms make it so easy to support your body head to toe. To try some for yourself, go to realmushrooms.com forward slash Mimi and use the code Mimi for a hefty discount. Your body will be thanking you. Enjoy, boo. Totally. Yeah. Or, or if, so, if their supplement cabinet looks like, you know, it's got raspberry lemonade, cotton yeah. candy flavored protein powder. And you're wondering, right. wow, I wonder what that very unnatural substance is doing to your, your health profile. Right. So we, you know, so we're, you know, we remain the trusted guide in, in these healthier, better for you wines, better for the planet wine. Yeah. Right. Because it's clear to people that we're not just some marketing machine that we actually care about what we do. Yeah. We're super passionate about it. And we talk about it in a way that, that breeds authenticity. Right. Yeah. And so um, here, so let's talk about kind of getting up, coming up on time, but let's talk about a couple of things. One, yeah. how do you get natural wine, right? If you don't buy it from us now, buying wine from us gets you all of our elevated standards, right? But even if you don't buy wine from us, I still think you should be drinking lower alcohol and natural wines. So if you don't buy those from us, then how are you going to find them? Well, the problem is they're very difficult to find. Sure. And unless you live in a progressive major market, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, uh, Washington, Chicago, unless you live in like a large progressive market, you won't have access to natural wines because nobody sells them. Mm. Because natural wine is hard to sell because people don't know what it is. Mm. So Americans buy brands. Right. right? right. Uh, Americans buy advertising driven sort of brands. Well, natural winemakers, none of them are large enough to be a brand, right? And so they're just small family farms that produce really pretty low output. They also oftentimes can't make their entire living on just making natural wine because they can't make enough of it. So they oftentimes also sell olive oil or you know, or goat cheese or other derivatives from the, from the farm, right? So they sell things other than natural wine. So they're not big enough to be quote yeah. a brand. Right. You, know, you wouldn't open up a magazine, never see an advertisement for a natural wine because mm -hmm. nobody's that big. So, but there, there are two ways to find natural wine. I think if, if you live in a place where there's some likelihood of getting it, like New York as an example. So there's a smartphone app called Raisin that is a map-based um, resource for people who sell natural wine. Okay. Restaurants who pour it or bars who specialize in it. But again, you're only going to find these in a few markets. Uh, you can also do a Google search in where you live for natural wine and see if anybody comes up in that because there has been a lot of press activity on natural wines. Um, but unless you live in one of these markets, you're not going to find that either. So, um, and then of course you buy it from us, 
Um, right. Buying it from us gets these other elevated standards like sugar-free, lower alcohol, dry farming. Although dry farming is generally practiced in natural wine, it's not in the U.S. Okay. So there's probably about, I don't know, probably 25 or 35 natural wine growers in the United States. Wow. But very few of them are even irrigation free because most all U.S. vineyards are already irrigated and uh, they will be organic. Let me touch on this point just for a second. When you go into the grocery store and you see organic wine, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean it's natural. It means okay. it's organic. So there's a difference. So remember, all natural wines are organic, but not all organic wines are natural. Right. And, and they're not ferment. They're not native yeast fermented. And they're not additive free. And that's so very interesting very <laughs> compared to the, yeah, to the, to the food space where you'll see, you know, natural chicken, but that's or actually sustainably farmed. Right. But that's right? actually, which in, means we use chemicals when we want to. Right. Right. It's, which which is this kind of change yeah. between organic in the food space and, and, and natural in the food space versus what we're talking about here, which is natural wine being um, superior. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it, it is a little confusing to the to the customer or the consumer. I, I can see how it would require a bit of education, hence this podcast. <laughs> right. So that, you know, we think of ourselves as educators, not we really think of ourselves as a health food company as well. Yeah. We don't really think Love of that. Right. You know, like we're a health food company that sells wine. Yeah, that's great. Um, and so and we remain really the only one that's dedicated to that purpose. Right. And in yeah. the and to the degree of magnitude that we're just super fastidious about everything, right? Mm -hmm. Because we represent this idealism, this ethos of how we live and also how these farmers live. These natural farmers are not capitalists, they're hippies. Right. I mean, when you go to their place, I mean they're, you know, they're not rich or anything. There's nothing mm. glamorous about what they do. When you come to Napa Valley and you go to a tasting room, it's an architectural gym of some kind. Right? Yeah. It's, it's a design statement. Yeah. That's not how it is when you go to a natural farm. Yeah. You go to a natural farm, it's yeah. like a farm. Yeah. I right? love that you guys support these small natural farms and you're also supporting the earth. And I, I think that there is this misconception that it, it can't be done with both. Like you can't you know, support a person's health or, or the individual while also supporting the, the earth at large. And, and I love that you guys are, that you're doing that and you're providing better quality products for people that also support the longevity and, and our earth's sustainability. I, I, I didn't finish telling you this, but the, the thing that's really important about a small family farm who cares and loves the plants in the way that they do, you can see this at farmer's market. So mm -hmm. when you go to the farmer's market and you see these vegetables, right? And fruits, you just want to take a photograph of them because they're so vibrant. Yeah. Right? Right. And they're, they're like, wow, that is just beautiful. Like it has so much vibrancy and so much strength and so much power in its beauty. But you see, you go to an organic, you go to Whole Foods where you know, it, the, the food source is also organic, but it doesn't look like that, right? No, it doesn't look, it doesn't look like that because that love that the small family farm brought to the care of that soil is not the same as just organic. 
And so this is the same thing for grape farming. When you bring this level of care and soil management and love that you can't bring, you just can't bring at scale, right? And you can see that the farmer's market, I love going to a farmer's market and seeing carrots and cabbage and everything. It's just so vibrant, right? And it's so like, wow, this just looks like super, it just, it just, it just looks like super growth. Like, it's yeah. like, how did this, you know, and how did this happen? But then you look at organic stuff in the grocery and it doesn't look like that at all. No. Yeah. What I call industrial organic. Yes, it's organic, but it's at scale. Right. right. And that's different than the love of a small family farm. And the farm that I love that comparison when you go to the farmer's market, you guys know exactly. Oh yeah. Farm. Oh, for and, sure. And it's, it's nature has this sophisticated, complex, systematic nature that when we take the effort, and this is a metaphor for literally everything. (laughs) When we take the effort of understanding that complexity, how we fit into the potential synchronization of all of these factors and all of these inputs working together, that sustains and creates life. That means a little work. That means a little education to understand where you fit into this puzzle But if you take the shortcuts, if you take the, I'm going to shove this blunt object into the small peg and make it fit at all costs, there will be byproducts. It's going to show up in the quality of your food. It's going to show up in in your health and your Mm -hmm. sustainability. And so it's literally translatable to any lane in life. And so beautifully modeled in this kind of in the wine space. Nice. Yeah, we could really go on for another hour. I, we know. I, I do. I do. Um, you know, really excited about, you know, you guys being cutting edge as always um, about the, the Bolixer line and taking not only alcohol, which we know to have this really, you know, incredible mind altering experience, but bringing in other euphorics and other botanicals that can potentially aid, assist and contribute to the overall health bucket of the consumer as they're taking these take us through a little bit what's what's new uh, what's exciting w- about this line specifically well we introduced two two uh new products this year that were just an extension of our ethos so an olive oil uh mm. xvoo that's that are produced on that are grown and pressed on the same small family farms they were already making olive oil and we're like well you know the same problem with olive oil it, it exists the same as wine. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of bad olive oils on the market. A lot of olive oil that's mislabeled and mischaracterized and not lab tested and so on and so forth. So we kind of introduced lab testing and the same ethos to olive cool. oil. Very Particularly cool. if you're keto, you you know eat a lot of olive oil or fats, healthy fats. So anyway, and then also we wanted to introduce um we wanted to create it kind of happened by accident with a young austrian couple who started making this ultra low alcohol wine natural wine infused with with herbs and flowers and the first one they made and introduced us to was an elderflower sparkling wine that was six and a half percent alcohol but one of the things that because we believe that alcohol is toxic, you know, and, and we need to be very thoughtful about how much, where, and what kind we drink. Um, now there are many positive benefits to alcohol as well in moderation, 
many positive benefits to natural wine. I mean, we have a heightened sense of euphoria. We have more vulnerability. It allows us to see and, 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 and bond with people in a way, particularly around food and wine, that it's very healthy and, and is quite liberating to a good life, mm-hmm. right? But alcohol, we wanted to produce a product that, that was very, what I'd consider to be ultra low in alcohol, six to 8% for a wine. Wine doesn't see below about 8%, 8.5%. Wine doesn't start to taste like wine anymore as you know it, right? Mm. Because alcohol, when you remove alcohol, you remove density or remove a flavor component. It doesn't, it really removes density. You So it doesn't start to taste like wine anymore. <clears throat> so in order to sort of, to, to to accentuate the fact that it's not wine anymore and or doesn't taste like what you would think wine tastes like anymore. We wanted to bring in other flavor components that were natural and may impart other health benefits. Mm. So we started blending these wines with uh, organic herbs and flowers that were, that were sun-dried and then make a, a tea like, um, uh, elixir from them and then blend them with this ultra low alcohol wine. Mm. So then we're, so mint or dandelion, elderflower, rose hips, um, lavender. So, so we're bringing the, the, the power of botanicals into this elixir, this wine like very low alcohol drink. And so now, and our customers love it and they buy it. They also buy more natural wine. These are wine lovers who sure. drink wine. So, you know, they're using it in different ways to enhance, you know, a different set and setting. Yeah. So, um, you know, we talked about earlier on, you know, that anytime we reach a place that we're going to elevate or alter our natural state, that set and setting you know, we're a very important part of that consideration. So I think our customers and I drink these elixirs, we call it a bolixer for botanical elixir. I'm drinking, I don't, I drink, I freely tell you, I drink more natural wine than I do the elixirs, but there are set and settings where that's more appropriate. Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. And so, and some people are just sensitive to alcohol and some people just really want something super low in alcohol. Yeah. Right? Makes sense. And so and I oftentimes, speaking of, I oftentimes dilute my wine with water, mm-hmm. right? Just because I want a lower dose of alcohol. I don't, I love wine. I don't love alcohol. I don't like being drunk, although it's an occupational hazard from time to time. <laughs> right. But if you drink enough, you will get drunk. It's for sure. Right. Yeah. For sure. If you drink enough natural wine, you'll get drunk. Right. But yeah. You're going to have to drink a lot more of it. Now, the interesting thing about natural wine is if you do get drunk, you don't wake up the next morning with these typical remnants. Yeah, that's the thing that I notice is like yeah. we drink like a whole bottle of the Bolixer, which of course it's a lower alcohol content. And the thing that I hate about alcohol is the next day without fail, 10 times out of 10, no matter which wine, no matter how expensive, no matter how bougie, I will have a severe headache. Yeah, not not from our wines. No, no. And, and so when I when we tried yours, uh, it, 
no headache whatsoever. I felt great. You know, yeah. we're up early and, you know, at our day I get up and, and meditate every morning. I mean, I was just, yeah. God, yeah. just drinking with a friend the other night, just visiting from out of town. And we got up the next morning and we had drank quite a bit <laughs> and, um, and they were like, Oh, wow. You know, I feel yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a testament to obviously the, the quality and, um, yeah, super grateful for that because that's something that always keeps me away. It's just not worth it for me. Yeah. I've, Uh, I've, you know, haven't been drunk since 2018. I was telling you Todd, uh, before we started recording and, uh, but, but I have drank, uh, you know, in that time and oftentimes it's dry farm. We usually have events at work where, where, you know, we're serving dry farm or we, we've always had bottles here ourselves and, um, I've maybe gotten buzzed or blissed is probably the better term, <laughs> but I have never nice. experienced that, uh, that hangover. And, and that is a, a true testament to the, everything we've been talking about mm-hmm. today. Um, you know, one thing, because I know how much intention you put into your practice of consuming wine, maybe just quickly describe to us and, and all of us out there who are, who've been programmed in this just high consumption, high volume, very transactional relationship to consuming alcohol, what does your drinking ritual look like? What's the ideal wine ritual drinking ceremony for you? Well, it's worth noting that, that I only eat once per day. Mm. And so, you know, for me that, that the, the, the ritual involves food and wine. I've been eating one meal a day for about five years. Mm. And um, so you know, I'm always going to have some foundation of healthy food before I start drinking because it's because I'm fasted. I haven't eaten for 20, 20 or 21 or 22 hours. And so other than drinking tea and water, so I'm in a fasted state. So if I don't lay something down, right, in my small intestine before I start drinking, then then it's going to result, even though it's low alcohol, it's going to result in a very, a very quick ascent into an alcohol buzz because it's just like, boom, it just goes right in like that. Yeah. And it happens mm-hmm. really fast. And so I've always got to lay down something healthy to have a foundation before I drink. So I don't recommend drinking on an empty stomach, particularly in a fasted state. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so for me, I, I, I like to think, I have the great advantage of having access to the best wines in the world and the ones that I love the most. Right. And so, and for me, that's always much lower in alcohol. Um, I rarely drink anything over 11 or 12%, rarely, not even 12 and a half. I usually drink between nine and 11%. And I have that choice. And we also customers who want that choice have that for us as well from us. Okay. But, you know, I, 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 when I think about a glass of wine, I typically drink out of a larger bowl. The bowl was the size of the wine glass. And um, I have a favorite wine glass that I have in my home, and it's kind of the official dry farm wine glass. And, and it's a large bowl. And I like when I think about, and this is one of the distinctions about being able to drink from a bottle as opposed to buying a glass of wine, say, in a restaurant. In a restaurant wine glass, they're going to fill the glass too high because if not, you think you got a short pour, right? 
the better restaurant, if you buy a glass of wine, is going to bring it to you in a small craft and then you can add it to the glass that you're, mm. it's smarter for them because it's a pre-measurement. So every glass isn't a different pour, but for the drinker, you can pour as much in the bowl as you want. Okay. Right? And so, but when I think of, when I think about putting wine in a glass, I'm thinking about a very small pour and large bowl that gives the wine a lot of space to express itself aromatically. Mm, I love that. Right? Mm. And so it's because the wine is going to start to share itself. And as it oxidizes, meaning the longer that it's open, the more contact it has with oxygen, then as it oxidizes, it's going to express itself in a different way with, with every time you take a sip. And so by leaving a lot of space in the glass, it's a more intentional way of feeling the wine, mm. right? And so, uh, and then you can just put a little bit more and you can put a little bit more. So I may have like 10 glasses, right? But they're very small pours and you're going to drink the wine slower that way as well. Right. And yeah. it's just going to leave more what's called head space. It's going to leave mm. more head space in the glass for the wine to express its perfume and its aromatics. Drinking wine, about 50% is aromatic and about 50% is taste. And so the enjoyment of wine is both aromatic and taste. Okay. And so, you know, I, I, I think, um, I, you know, sometimes this is, well, this is really, uh, this is really detailed, but sometimes I will often like take a drink of wine in the kitchen, like in the beginning, my first drink and kind of, swirl it around my mouth and spit it out mm. right because i want to like get i want to like have an experience with that next taste really from from my palate has been cleansed now of enzymes and you know kind of like and now i'm going to like really taste the wine because very often i'll just take a drink and spit it in the sink right and that sort of like gets me prepared to sort of have a relationship with the wine. Yeah. Wow. I love that. That sounds crazy. I know. No, it doesn't. No, you're really making it your own ritual and you're not just chugging it just to feel a certain way or to escape your life. Think about Here's how I think about natural wine. I think about natural wine the same way I think about other plant medicines. I think about wine as tapping in, not Mm. checking out. Yeah, Mm, I I love love that. that. So yeah. I'm not drinking to check out. I'm drinking to tap in. Yeah. And so only good. when you have this intention around this natural wine in this way, can you have the spiritual feeling about it? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because if you're drinking to check out, you shouldn't be drinking. Right. You yeah. should change your life. You're, yes. you're creating the space to feel. Yeah. Right. You're creating exactly. the to capacity feel is to, to understand. Feel. Yeah. Yeah. I love not the using proverb it. to feel is to understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and so that's, that so I think about tapping in, yeah, not checking out. If I need to check out, there's other things in my life I need to change other than my wine. Right. Right. <laughs> yes, you're yeah. you're, yeah, so wise in in just adopting that into your life and then obviously sharing it, you know, with our listeners. Yeah. I love that. I think you, it's- you build those habits into your life. Everything is a relationship. If you build those habits into your wine practice, they'll translate into your human relationships. Right. They'll translate into the relationship with yourself, with your yeah. with your career or your passion or whatever. It's going to translate elsewhere. It's preparing your nervous system in the small things like drinking a glass of wine. In it's preparing your nervous system to 
engage with your partner or your family or whoever, coworkers, in that same intentional way where you're, you're there for the experience, not in some sort of transaction, which I think is all too common in, in our world today. And I think that's, you know, taking life to the next level, taking relationships to the next level and being at this level of consciousness when you consume something or when you engage, you know, with your partner, like taking it that to the next level is, is perfect and beautiful. And I, I think the way that it probably was intended um, when wine was created. For sure. Yes. Cool. I love that. I, I think that's a perfect place. You know, you, you said it so beautifully and um, I think that that's a perfect place to, uh, to end and, and leave our listeners with that thought. And we do have three rapid fire questions for you. As we end here, you can literally just use one word if you want. Um, the medicine podcast and, and us at the medicine, we're all about expansion and these areas of our life, uh, specifically mind, body, and relationships. And we're all about discovering more of the medicines that expand those areas. And so for you, first we'll, we'll ask, uh, what feels like medicine right now for your body? Huh. What feels like medicine for my body is, um, a fitness for me. Perfect. Love that. Love it. What about, uh, what about for your mind? What feels like medicine currently for your mind? Water. Mm. Like I think a lot about water in the way that I think about wine. When I pour a glass of water that I really love, and I have a few bottled waters that I really love, I just really embrace sort of the precision of the water. Mm. Right? I don't know. So for me, water is so... So, um, I, you know, for the mind, I mean, you could say meditation over and over and over. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Our mind of that space to be present, that space to be silent and to be grateful. You know, there is no medicine for the mind where the mind is confused and anxious. Right. right. And so, so for me, I, I mean, I have to revert back to, I mean, I think water, I was thinking about water when we were talking about wine, cause I really sort of feel the same way about water, although it doesn't express any aromatic, but, <clears throat> but the precision of it express, expresses itself. But, you know, health of the mind for me, I, I just, nothing, nothing is more important than, than meditation because, you know, we, we, we can't have a healthy mind until we can find peaceful silence. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Absolutely. What about for your relationship or your relationships? What feels like medicine right now? Um, oh, wow. This is really good because I've been thinking a lot about this recently. And um, it's about authenticity and transparency mm. and vulnerability and, and being available to be seen, to see and to be seen. Right. And so, because we all want different things. And so we've got to be perfectly authentic and transparent about what we really want and that it's shocking how little real honesty there is in that communication between partners or relationships or people you're dating or people that you work with or anyone you're in a relationship with is that being shockingly transparent and shockingly authentic is super well received and 
most of us don't have the courage to go there. Right. right. Whether And that can play itself out in any, depending upon the nature of the relationship. If it's, if it's a lover, then it's about, you know, what are, what are your kinks? What are your, you know, what are your, like, what do you need? How, how, <laughs> right. Yeah. What, what gets you there? And people just don't have the courage to talk about it. Yeah. Or, you know, that you, you, you've got this whole, it's just, there's, or at work, you know, about being vulnerable, about being seen and seeing other people and giving them an environment that allows them to be seen and allows them to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Authenticity yeah. Just, and transparency. And there's such you know, consciousness, mm. just a higher level of consciousness and helping spread consciousness throughout the world. You're yeah. speaking our love language. You're literally like soothing our souls right now because this is everything that the medicine is about is is really like building a conscious relationship that is supported by a conscious lifestyle and that's everything so everything you are will connect everything in nature is connected yeah mm-hmm. so there, there's the the connected source energy that is around all of us and we're all manifesting every moment the question mm-hmm. is are we manifesting with intention Are we manifesting with conscious intention to get to a higher place of being, or are we manifesting in fear? And most people are manifesting their fear because they're in constant anxious state about what might happen to them through their speculation, right? as opposed to living a life of intention and consciousness that manifests them into arriving to the place that is their birthright graciousness to be right? Like we all deserve abundance. We're born here on this earth to receive abundance, right? We're blocking it through resistance. And that resistance is fear. Yeah. Right. And so we're taught to fear. No is the first word we usually learn. You know, we're taught fear from the very beginning when we were not born into fear. You know, we were only fear of falling or loud noises. That was about it. Right. And then we learn and we get programmed to be inauthentic largely to misrepresent who we are or what we believe other people want us to be or what would make us more acceptable to other people. Right. Right. As opposed to being transparent about what we want when you're transparent, it's so shocking to people that they just really receive it quite warmly. Yeah. It's a breath of fresh air. Really? (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I don't want to do that. Right. I do want to do this. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, okay. We just need to find other people who believe what you believe. And if you're living in a space of consciousness, then those people will find you. Yes. you know, it's, it's like, you know, we, it's like our interview process takes about two months and, you know, we meditate together and we outline all this in our job documents. It's like people find us who want to gravitate to the way we live. Yeah. Wow. You know? and, and so, so, cool. so it's, you know, when you're, when you're putting that source energy, you know, when you're connecting and you're living that life of a mirror, you know, you're reflecting everything and the law of attraction works. And that when you're living your true self, other people will find you. Yeah. Right? They'll be attracted to you. Absolutely. Gosh, we could just go on all that. We could, we could. <laughs> Absolutely. 
we might sure. have to get you yeah, back quick, on you to talk stop about talking things. here. So we no, can, it's yeah, great. We you love it. Wisdom. There was yeah, 100 mic drops, all of that. I, I'm so excited for our listeners to hear this and to hear your wisdom. I hope they and, make it this far. Yeah, <laughs> no, they will. Absolutely. You, you might get some, uh, you know, some sales off this, but you might get some applicants too. Yeah, you know, right. Nice. Talking about nice. how, how your guys' company culture. Beautiful. Nice. Well, <laughs> absolutely. Much love, gratitude. I wish you like a beautiful day in life and Thank any you. way we can be of service to that, please let me know. Thank well, you so much. We're, we're so happy to be aligned with you and your company and to be extensions of each other in some ways, just magical. And um, yeah, we're, we're so grateful that you came on, that we know you now. And, you know, maybe in the future, we can have you back on to talk about something other than wine because well, let's do there, that. And there's then, a lot yeah, there. Let's drink some wine when I yeah. see you. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, perfect. Um, well, thanks you guys for, as Todd said, making the, it this far. And I know, I know it was a ton of value. I'm sure your brain is a little broken right now. Pick up the pieces and grab some dry farm wines. Absolutely. You've heard all of the benefits and it's honestly making me like want to have some tonight right. with oh, you. Yeah. We're That's absolutely happening. going to. Um, so thank you again uh, for listening. We'll see you next time. Go spread some light. Okay. Bye. If you liked this episode, make sure you hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. This will ensure that every episode drops into your library automatically. Also, make sure you're following me on Instagram at Mimi underscore the medicine. To learn more about our favorite health products, foods, and supplements we discuss on here, visit getmimifit.com forward slash the medicine cabinet, or just check the show notes below. Until next time. Cheers, boo.